Over 20 years ago, there was a group of pastors here in this area who gathered together to pray. And they were asking God to move in a supernatural way within Springfield. They were asking for the Spirit of God to have freedom in the churches. They were wanting the, the name of Christ to be known in the community and for the gospel to, to reach hundreds, if not thousands, of, of people. Now, it's not that pastors didn't pray before that. It's not that groups didn't meet together before that. Um, but in my experience in being a pastor for 30 years here, it was the first time that I have seen the numbers of pastors coming together in a concerted effort to pray for Springfield. It was at that time that I met Craig Fields, who was a pastor with, uh, and still is, at Jefferson Avenue Baptist Church, who, by the way, is retiring uh, at the end of this month. And I met Ben Birdsong, who was the station manager at The Wind FM. And Ben, as you know, passed away about 10 years ago of a massive heart attack. But he was a, a former pastor, just had a, a great heart for the church. And he was instrumental, Ben and Craig, in putting together these concerts of prayer, they were called. And these were four-day events. We met at the Stonecroft uh, Conference Center down in the Branson area. I don't think that exists anymore, but uh, we met down there. And I, the largest gathering I remember is over 50 pastors gathering together and praying for four days. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, it's work. Um, and, I mean, there's hours at, at a time praying together and then just sharing, sharing a meal together. We'd bring in a facilitator to lead us through each session. Many would get on their knees or be face down before the Lord, begging for God to move in this town. Now, I don't claim to have full knowledge of how God answers those prayers and how God blesses, but I do believe that God responds and did respond to those prayers and continues to. And I want to share with you this morning some of the ways that I have noticed God answering those immediately and now decades later. And I, the reason I say this is because I, I was in a meeting this week uh, with several churches, and it, it, it was like the Lord just put in my heart, this, this is an answer to what we prayed 20 years ago. And it was just so exciting to realize how God was honoring this. You know, many of us pray about things. Uh, this applies to us. Many of us pray about things for a long time, and we expect God to answer immediately. And when he doesn't, we get so, we get so discouraged. And uh, many people will even give up praying. Uh, I mean, I can remember my dad, who um, I didn't know to be a Christian, and uh, when I came to Christ in the ninth grade, the only time my dad would come to church is if I was speaking. And I started preaching when I was in the ninth grade. And that would be the only time my dad would come. And, or or we, I was in a singing group. And, he, and I, I can remember, though, when he would come, I would, I would grab the back of the pew and I would pray so hard, you know, for him to trust Christ. And kept praying and it just never happened. And, uh, and then I went to Bible college and graduated and got into ministry. And, 
And then they moved here for a year, and they attended church. My mom and dad did when they were here for a year, and when, right after I'd become pastor. Again, praying so hard, never, never saw any movement. Uh, in fact, other people tried to talk to him, and he just said, no, 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 you know. Um, but it wasn't until the day before he died that I had an opportunity to share with him and, uh, and knew that, uh, you know, he had trusted Jesus. So it took a long time. It took, it took a, lot of, uh, a, lot of, a lot of praying. But my point is that uh, God may not answer in the timing that we want, right? So I, I want to encourage you. There might be some things in your own life that you're praying about, and you, you might get discouraged. Um, God still answers prayer. When these pastors get together and they pray about God, you know, moving, normally when pastors get together and pray like that, what they're thinking is, okay, large crusade, you know, Billy Graham-like, uh, lots of people coming to Christ. That's God's movement, you know, kind of revival thing. In fact, we actually met with uh, members of the Billy Graham organization and um, um, Blackaby, what's his, I forget his first name, Henry, Henry Blackaby. And, and we're thinking about, you know, having those guys come. Never really materialized. God simply had something else in mind. Jeremiah 17 says this, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Uh, We could say the flesh is like just in our own power, our own plans, uh, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. He's like a, it's like a shrub in the desert shall not see any good come shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its root by the stream, does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. See, I think when God works, he brings refreshment, right? He brings spiritual growth, and I think he brings endurance. I don't think God's best work is, you know, flash-in-the-pan churches or Christian superstars. I think he builds enduring ministries that bear lasting fruit. That's his best work. Uh, God immediately answered those prayers when these pastors gathered together. Um, He did that by starting to unite our hearts together. And I've shared this story before, but I'll I'll share it again. In fact, you've heard all of my stories. I can't come up with new stories. So I'm sorry if you've been here a while. You're going to hear these over and over again. But uh, just amuse me and act like, hey, that's great. Never heard that before. Uh, I I can remember uh, during this time watching a local pastor who was on TV, and, and I would make fun of him. Uh, you know, he wasn't in my stream of things. He was out of my tradition, and it just seemed really hokey to me, right? Well, one of the uh, smaller prayer groups that we were in, in one of these uh, lar- you know, meetings that we got together for four days, that man was in my group of about four of us. 
and he began to share a really personal matter, a, a, a real family crisis, and I could see his, his humble heart, and, and immediately God just began to show me how arrogant I had been um, and, and really gave me a, a heart. And now whenever, whenever I see him, my heart, it's not the hokey feeling. It's like I'm really glad to see him, and he's a, you know, he, he loves the Lord. And uh, at that time, I realized that I was just a schmuck. So uh, God has to break down walls, does he not, when uh, he unites us together. And uh, we realize that a lot of pride and arrogance can, can get in the way. That's the kind of thing I think God was doing with a lot of us because there were people that were out of our traditions, right? I mean, I mean coming together. Um, and j- just this... Uh, Past week, I got in another pastor's group that I'm starting an accountability group. It is a, an Anglican, a four-square guy, an E-free guy, a Baptist, and non-denominational. It's like, never shall the twain meet in regular life, but love Jesus and really are looking forward to just sharing our hearts together, encouraging one another. And that's the kind of thing that I see God doing on a on a, on a a large scale. So God was beginning to really um, melt our hearts and um, bring genuine unity, and I think that was an answer to prayer. This prayer group, the large gathering, we met probably three or four times in, uh, in the Branson area, and then after Ben passed away, he was kind of the catalyst. It kind of, that kind of died down, but you could still see separate groups that, that would, would meet together. And um, although my work schedule has kept me from being a part of a, a group that was at Craig's Church, I was a part of that one for years. And I know uh, Hope Community, uh, Glendale Christian Church, and um, what's the uh, National Church of Christ there, right, on, right near Blackman Road, that big one. They meet together, Schweitzer. Uh, United Methodists, those pastors meet together, the churches meet together. And those are things that are going on all around the city where you see God putting these groups together that normally would not have taken place. And so um, uh, so we see God doing some great things, but there was still three issues that to me were, were pretty prominent, that uh, distinct issues that needed to be addressed. And again, I can only give you my perspective, maybe other pastors would tell you different things, but um, but what I saw, after being here 30 years, you know, you kind of see patterns in, in this town and, and uh, perspectives that kind of have sticking power. Um, first is that the, the city government and public schools um, in the past functioned with a distance from the churches. Uh, and I think there's been a distrust with churches in general. Um, maybe part of that is unfamiliarity. You know, it's kind of like when you watch a movie and it's made by people and they, and they, who are not Christian and they try to cast people with a Christian viewpoint. It's like, I don't know any Christians like that. You know, they're just, they're just unfamiliar with most Christians, right? And it's not to say that people in city government and schools are not Christians, but by and large, there's just been a distance. Uh, and, and, and for whatever reason... The city government and schools had previously functioned with this distance, and there wasn't really a trust of, of, of working together. 
And when the church, uh, at least from my vantage point, got involved in anything related to the city, it was always in protest. Or it was to try to twist somebody's arm politically. But didn't come with a towel and a basin to just serve. Um, And to me, those two approaches are vastly different. And when the church would get involved with the schools, it would be, it seemed more event-oriented. You know, go and do one thing, you know, which is great, and then hightail it out of there and maybe come back next year for a few hours, right? And so the other issue besides that was the, what we prayed for and recognized was the real problem was racism within southwest Missouri. If you know your Springfield history, you know back in the early 1900s, four black men were lynched at the square in this town about 100 years ago. The black population at that time was over 10%. After the lynching, the black population left in droves, and it has never recovered since. Currently, 3% black in Springfield. In the New York Times bestseller, Between the World and Me, Ta-Nehisi Coates writes a book that is really a a book-length letter that he's writing to his son, his adolescent son. And he's brutally honest with his son about how hard it is to live as a black man in America. Racism, he writes, is a visceral experience which rips at the black body. He doesn't really have much hope that it's going to get better. And uh, he said, hope is specious. And then he makes it clear, and this is the part that I found to be uh, particularly fascinating. He makes it clear he has no hope in God or the church in making a difference. Yet toward the end of the book, he recounts a conversation with a Dr. Mabel Jones, who's a devout Christian. She was a a child of a sharecropper in rural Louisiana. And Dr. Jones went on to serve in the Navy and became a successful radiologist. She had a daughter daughter and a son, and the son was named Prince, who became a friend of Coates. And one evening, a police officer confused Prince with another African-American man and shot and killed him. And as Coates listened to Dr. Jones talk of what the church meant to her in the midst of suffering and injustice, this is what he writes. I thought of my own distance from an institution that has so often been the only support of our people. I often wonder if in that distance I've missed something, some notions of cosmic hope, some wisdom beyond my mean physical perception of the world, something beyond the body that I might have transmitted to you. I wondered that because something beyond anything I have ever understood drove Mabel Jones to an exceptional life. What that story tells me is that there may be a time in which the church has an opportunity to rise up and and meet a need. And I think that that time has arrived for Springfield in city government and in the schools. And we can pray that the church will be ready to respond. We obviously cannot as a church stick our head in the sand. 
and say, well, now listen, our job is just to preach the gospel. Now, obviously, we need to preach the gospel. And we define that by bringing people in the church and filling up the church building. Here's a passage that describes the ministry of Jesus. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. Now, the synagogue is, was not a friendly place okay, for Jesus on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He un- unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Why were they fixed on him? Why? Because they had never heard anything like this before. You see, the religious system was about getting people cleaned up to come to God. And here was Jesus saying, go to where the people are. Go to where they need help. The poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. And he would give them value. He would sit and he would listen to them. The least of these, the AIDS victims, the people who are hurting, he would listen. He would love them. And his heart would be open. And their hearts would be open then to his message. Yeah, I think God is answering our prayers from 20 years ago. And I think churches are beginning to apply what Jesus did here. We've seen progress, by the way, with the race relations, with our unity in Springfield times together that we've had. And as you know, our church has played a big part in that in the past several years. Uh, We've witnessed relationships being built as thousands have come together, black and white churches coming together to celebrate our harmony in Christ. Last year for me was one of the, uh, the best event because we had our white police chief and many other policemen and and sheriffs there with black leaders in our community, hugging, praying together, and it's like, wow. Now, this was in the midst of the worst of the police shootings last year. God was doing, and is continuing to do, something great. And we've witnessed church leaders collaborating when in the past, I'm talking about black and white, that, that was just dreamed about. And by the way, if you want to be involved, I want to invite you. You can come to Crosstown Barbecue. Many of you know Steve Williams. He's been here and spoken to us before. Steve owns Crosstown Barbecue. And we're going to have a meeting June 19th at 630. If you want to volunteer, be a part of that, come and join us at Crosstown June 19th at 630. So God is answering prayer with the black and white churches coming together. There's still a lot of work that has to be done. All right. Healing isn't complete, but it certainly started. In addition, the first time that I can remember, the city of Springfield has come to the churches and asked for help in addressing the issue of poverty in Springfield. And and the church has responded. And we saw God move 
over a hundred churches that came together at the Convoy of Hope event last year to address the issue of poverty. And relationships are continuing to be built. You might remember the, the Springfield city manager, Greg Burris, came to our church and, and showed the need, demonstrated it to us, and, and you responded. And it's been exciting to see how God is, is answering prayer. I continue to be in contact with, with, uh, with Greg and Cora Scott there with the city and just talking about, all right, how can we continue this relationship and, uh, and help? And a lot of churches have signed on to, uh, to be a part of that that endeavor. Uh, just this last week, I met with another group of, of uh, churches, not the accountability group, but uh, with about a half dozen churches, including James River, Central Assembly, Second Baptist, Freshwater. These are not all in the same denomination, but we are in the same kingdom, so we can work together. And it's indicative of what God is doing of, of addressing the needs in our schools Two years ago, you might remember, our church uh, clothed every child at Weaver Elementary School with a whole set of, of winter clothes. I mean, you guys just gave tremendously. It took a U-Haul to deliver all the clothes there over at, at, uh, at Weaver. And many other churches are doing the same thing, ministering to churches in, in, in really cool ways. But what we're seeing is the need to coordinate these efforts because you have a lot of pockets of people doing separate things. Uh, many churches are doing what they can, but we think we can be more efficient, smarter in how we are meeting the needs so a strategy is, is, uh, is developing and is really kind of changing some of our approach. We don't want to duplicate services, and we want to make sure that we have a long-time impact and particularly relationship with the schools, the teachers, and the kids. So one of the things that we're doing, and this has started with the Convoy of Hope event, but it's continuing to move on, is that churches from the south side who don't have the acute needs as much as what in Center City and, and north side have are teaming up with other churches and schools on the north side, the neediest part of the city. And as you know, we've already teamed up with uh, the Fairbanks Project, which is closely associated with uh, Weaver Elementary, and uh, we support Fairbanks on a monthly basis. But what we're seeing is that the school system is now open to churches having these relationships. Now, we're not there to twist their arm to some political or religious agenda. We're not there. The only agenda is to love and meet needs. That's what we're there for, all right? And through these relationships, God is increasing influence and people are seeing the impact of the gospel. Uh, in a month or so, we're going to have a gentleman with us, uh, Russ Goslin. And I worked closely with Russ with Convoy of Hope. And he's now started his own ministry called Elevate that serves as a liaison between schools and churches. And Russ has extensive experience in seeing cities deeply impacted by unified efforts of the body of Christ. You know, I can remember about 15 years ago or so, maybe more than that, that one of the past superintendents of Springfield spoke to some pastors. Now, while it was a good gesture, it was obvious that he was extremely uncomfortable in that kind of setting. I mean, he had to, he had to have, you know, very guarded speech. And it seemed at that time apparent to me that there was much work that has to be done 
in this relationship between the school and churches. And I'd have to say, God is answering those prayers. Now, we still have lots of work, and there's still problems, but we see the walls coming down. And God is mobilizing many churches together to make an impact. Now, what I envision is that we as a church don't just pour money into particular events or projects. Now, those are good, and we will continue to to be a part of that. But I, I see those opportunities, those events, as really touch points to increase our relationship to have long-term relationships with the schools and our community. Now, many of you in life groups have already been to Fairbanks. Our life group has been there, and I know several of your other uh, other groups have been there. You volunteered. You see how that particular ministry is impacting uh, kids and families on the north side. They, They do it with food. They have tutoring. They have job skills training, and they have a wide array of ministry Um, through uh, Fairbanks. And you might have seen uh, the front page of the paper had an article about Amy Blancett with the Drew Lewis Foundation, um, who works really closely with Fairbanks. Uh, They're out of that same area. um, And just really trying to to make a difference in that community. Um, So we want to be a part, as, as a church, of helping the least of these and doing exactly what Jesus instructed in that synagogue 2,000 years ago. Going where the hurting are and simply loving on them. And in that loving, in that relating, the gospel is being lived out. It's being communicated through our lives. Now, I just happen to believe church is not measured by how many people are fitting inside the facility or by new facilities. That's not how we measure a church. We measure our church by how much love we share, particularly with those outside these walls. That's how it's measured. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says this. Tell me if this doesn't say it pointedly. If I give away all I have... And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing doesn't even register on the scale. Nothing is a zero. (laughs) That means you can do a lot of stuff, but not love, not serve. It's serving, it's in the loving that I think we make a deep impact. Whenever we have an opportunity to meet a need in the schools, it's going to be a touch point for us to increase our relationship. You're going to say, man, uh, I mean, it seems like we're always giving. Get used to it, okay? Because it's not going to stop, all right? It's not going to stop. I hope that till the day I die, I've got a lot more needs around me than what I know how to fill. Because I want to be in the middle of it doing all I can with everything I've got to help the people around me. Are you with me? That is what we're about, my friends. Now listen, 
I don't know how long we're going to continue this relationship with Weaver, but we've got a relationship that I want to continue and deepen. And those kids, they need help. Now, I know school is out right now, but come in the fall, they need help with tutors, reading buddies, very tangible ways that we can be a part. And, and you can sign up to be a part of that. And we'll talk more about that when school starts again. We also want to be a part of the back-to-school bash at Weaver and serve the teachers and students in any way we can. So as all of this is rolling around in my head and, and I'm meeting, guess what happens? I had somebody in our church that I had lunch with and uh, who works out in the, uh, with a company out near um, Monette. And he goes, you know, my company has got a bunch of these backpacks, hundreds of them, that they tried to sell. They don't know what to do with. And they, they're filled with school supplies. Get this. <laughs> this is crazy. And so our, our owner wants to get rid of these. $10 a backpack. Like, what? You can't buy a backpack alone, but then have these filled with school supplies $10 a backpack. So by faith, I said, count me in for 300. Weaver has about 275 students. I thought, well, 300 will be enough. So now we got to raise $3,000 to, to pay for these backpacks, all right? Um, so I, by faith, thought we could do that, all right? So this summer, what I'm asking is that God will, will give us that money. Now, the church is going to buy the backpacks, and I'm asking us to help and pay the church back uh, that money. And then this is the thing. If we have more than 3,000 come in, which I, I hope that we do, whatever else is given, we're going to minister to the teachers in whatever way we can to help them with supplies or whatever else that they might need. So that, I think, is really cool. We also, check this out, we have an opportunity to, I was talking with uh, Russ with Elevate Ministries, and he said, well, hey, I can get you hooked up with shoes for every one of those kids. I go, how much would that cost? He said, nothing. So we're going to get shoes for every one of the kids as well. Shoes, backpacks, supplies, and those shoes will be at no cost. Now, I'd love to have a whole group of folks from CCC who can help serve the teachers and students on that back-to-school day uh, just to be there. Love to have a presence there, hand out supplies, including the backpacks and the shoes. So if any of you would like to give towards the Weaver backpack project, just put Weaver on your check, mark it in the note section, and again, any leftover money we have is going to go to the teachers. So why do we serve? Why do we give? Why do we bother going to Guatemala like we do twice a year? Listen, we aren't giving our time, treasure, and talent to feel good about ourselves. We take seriously the call of the gospel and to see all these efforts outside these walls as loving people to life. That's what we're about. You know, the disciples were rebuking people who were bringing kids to Jesus, you know, right? Now, maybe they were thinking like I think a lot of church leaders think, you know, there's not any money in kids. Maybe they were thinking that. I don't know. Or maybe they're thinking, you know, these kids are a nuisance. Jesus said this in Mark 10, 14, let the children come to me. 
For such belongs the kingdom of God. Such belongs the kingdom of God. Aren't we about expanding the kingdom of God? If we are, I think ministering to children is going to be a big part. Hey, why do we do Canicut Camp? Let the children come to me. Why do we do VBS? Let the children come to me. I'm excited about our days ahead because what I see is God answering prayers from 20 years ago. And I see the church, not just this church, but many other churches, working through the city. I see the church working with the schools. I don't know what the future holds in these relationships, but as long as we are committed to loving well, I believe that God is going to continue to open doors. You with me? Let's pray.